0: We look forward to having you. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And
1: I'm Zachary Guillo.
0: And this is Collateral Gaming Season Season 4.
1: Welcome back to Collateral Gaming, everybody, the only video game podcast that matters where we discuss good games, bad games, and everything in between in the world of gaming. I am back today with Ashley Chancellor to discuss Metroid Dread even further. This is part two of our two-part series on Metroid Dread. The first episode that we did was basically a first impressions episode, what we thought about the game, and tried to discuss as much as we could without any spoiler content or anything like that. Ash, how you doing, buddy? You doing all right? Hell yeah, man. I'm doing great. I'm really, really, really excited to get back
0: into Dread and talk about it. Uh, Of course, I mean, it was cool to talk about uh, Outlast for our Halloween special, and the Guardians of the Galaxy episode was fun, but man, am I ready to talk spoilers with Dread. The story, some of the items.
1: (laughs) Oh, dude, you and me both, man. This is a game that you and I have dived into quite, quite deeply, and I can't wait to talk about it. It was very difficult for me to spend the last episode avoiding spoilers, but we got through it, we got through it, and now we get to dive into all the juicy, nitty-gritty stuff of the game, and, um, you know, just really dive into what Mercury, Steam, and Nintendo were able to accomplish with the Switch, and just how wonderful of a job that they did with this game. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Hell yeah, brother. Me too. So first of all, the story, okay? I guess getting it out of the way here, the big spoiler moment at the end of the game that everyone is, it's kind of the elephant in the room, right? And, And it's what the entire premise of the plot builds up to is the fact that Samus is becoming a Metroid.
1: Absolutely, dude. We saw it start. Uh, well, I, I can't say we really saw it start with Metroid Fusion. Metroid Fusion had the key plot element that led us to uh, this point, you know. Um, Samus goes to SR-388 with a group of Galactic Federation troopers to investigate a disturbance. And I forget the name of the creature that she kills... But she kills it and out comes an X parasite, which is a gelatinous predator that basically latches onto its prey, uh, killing it, but also taking its form and shape and any abilities that it might have. And so one of these creatures latches on to Samus. And at first, nothing really happens. You know, she, she she notices that this creature has kind of latched onto her, but, you know, nothing's happening. But as she is about to board the BSL research station, she goes unconscious, and her ship uh, drifts into a nearby asteroid belt. And right before the ship hits the asteroid belt, uh, the emergency escape pod ejects, and scientists find her. Uh, they're forced to surgically remove the inorganic parts of the suit because of the... X-parasite infestation it had gotten so deep that it was impossible to safely remove the entire suit without basically killing Samus. And basically, at this point, Samus is on death's door, and the scientists in the Galactic Federation realized that since the Metroids were the main predators of the X, the ones that were keeping them at bay because of the Chozo on SR-388, they decide to inject Samus with a Metroid-based vaccine, which counteracts... The effects of the ex-parasite. In fact, it makes her immune to them. She can absorb them and gain latent abilities, health, uh, ammunition. But it also makes her basically like a Metroid. She's immune to the cold, and she's back in her base form. Opposite of immune to the cold, right? She's
0: she's
1: oh sorry 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 yeah she's extremely hypersensitive to the cold. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there's gonna be some stumbles here today. Okay, it's gonna happen. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) That's what we're here for, is to uh, correct each other. Absolutely. There's no other point in doing this.
0: But yeah, Samus inherits the qualities of a Metroid, and what we were wondering is, in addition to the weaknesses of a Metroid, uh, what else does she gain? Does she gain some of the abilities? And Metroid Dread answers that question, and it answers it midway through the story, actually, the first time you get to Feridia. You know, we kind of see that power start to bottle up, but we don't know what it is. And then towards the very end of the game, we finally see it at play. And Met- and Samus is able to absorb energy from other creatures, including
1: oh, yeah. the last Emmy. Oh, dude. You know... If I'm being honest, that part in the game was mildly disappointing. you know, I kind of wanted to have a proper battle with an Emmy and you get the power bombs so late in the game that they almost seem redundant. you know it seems like there's not really a use for them. In fact, I collected like five or six of the power bomb expansions before even getting the power bombs. I knew what they were, but it was like unknown item. you cannot use this yet, but I was like, dude, this is a power bomb expansion, obviously, come on
0: that's one sequence break you 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 can't actually exploit. And they did that on purpose. The power bomb is
1: actually the last item that you get in the game, so. Absolutely. And you get it in, like, one of the coolest ways ever. I mean, it was really cool. Like, over the course of the game, you start to see Samus change. And we, we've we learned from uh, Adam, or, you know, quote, Ravenbeak, at the end of the game, that basically Samus was infused with both Malkin and Thoha Chozo DNA. And the... Malkin side of the DNA that she was injected with uh, basically amplifies her or basically demonstrates her physical prowess but also the Mawkins are you know known to be enemies of the Metroids because the Thoha tribe was the only ones really capable of controlling the Metroids and I'm guessing the Thoha and the Malkin tribes were against each other which we learn from you know quiet robes monologue about how Raven Beak and his lust for power led him to basically murder every single member of the Thoha tribe except for Quiet Robe so that he could continue to control the Metroids. And Ravenbeak wanted to exploit this. And it's actually phenomenal the way they lay it out. The storytelling in this game is really immaculate.
0: That is probably one of the few moments in the game that actually has any sort of dialogue in it. And 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 that we actually kind of uh, we see a proper story unfold because a lot of Metroid Dreadish show don't tell. Uh, A lot of it is just kind of exploring the planet. Uh, In fact, for a lot of the game, there really isn't much story so much as there is atmosphere. But it's all building towards something. And so you you get this this climax part of the game where you actually finally attain a goal that's different than, you know, leave this planet, get to the surface. Now you learn, okay... I might actually have some other shit to do and we get that glorious moment where Samus speaks in the Chozo language absolutely uh, the one time she does speak in this game
1: and it is it, I, I loved it I thought that was so fucking cool <laughs> well I mean it is the only time she technically speaks in the game but let's be honest the voice actor for Samus has some pipes on her because that scream at the end when she's absorbing Raven and undergoing her final metamorphosis into what is the Metroid suit which is by the way one of the coolest outfits it's in the entire Metroid series. She looks like Doom Samus, honestly, and it, it, it makes me laugh every time I think about it, but it's so badass. It's really cool. And hearing Samus speak in that Chozo language blew my mind, because not only did that confirm that Samus is bilingual, but it also, you know, with that one line, obviously Samus in this game is still the silent badass. Like, when you go up against Kraid, Kraid is locked up in chains, and he is literally fighting and trying to break out so that he can kill Samus. And he literally lunges back and screams at her in her face, and she doesn't even budge. All she does is look up at him, charge up her power beam, and shoot him in the mouth. She
0: is a fucking badass. There's a lot of moments in this game where she's just, uh, where when she finishes off each boss, and and this happens with a lot of them, you know, uh, she's she's kind of just standing there, arm cannon down, charging up a shot, and then fires point blank, you know, and it's just such a silent badass moment. I love it. And the crate fight, I think, is is one of the best moments. There... Uh, there's also something else very unique about the Kraid fight <laughs> that I didn't catch on my first playthrough, and I don't think very, very many people
1: did. Ooh, lay it on me, because I'm, I'm curious to see what you've got to say here. Okay, so it is the,
0: the sequence break that you can use to instantly defeat Kraid. Now, oh, yeah. Okay, okay. The amount of backtracking that you have to do to achieve the Morph Ball bombs, or to obtain the Morph Ball bombs, before you fight Kraid, kind of makes this invalid uh, as a speedrun. T- technique because uh, you know it, it would be faster just to fight Kraid than to do all that backtracking. But it is a really, really cool secret cutscene that you can find and, and another way that you can defeat Kraid, And it's actually it's actually a lot of fun. So right before you get Kraid, if you if you, you know, uh backtrack and you platform well enough it requires some tricky platforming yes it does uh you can actually obtain the grapple beam and then the morph ball bombs uh, in fact there's a way to even do it without the grapple beam too but either way uh this is an intended sequence break by the way because there's a reason why all right if you ever return back to the crate boss room later you might have noticed that there's a morph ball launcher that just launches you into the lava so obviously, yep. anybody that found that it got them thinking: Is there a way to access this during the crate fight? And sure enough, if you get the morph ball bombs and you and you un- and you unlock the launcher, which is kind of hidden in the wall, uh, it'll launch you straight into his belly button, and you can kill him in one hit.
1: Absolutely, it's really cool. I actually haven't done it myself. I don't really want to do that because. I'm trying to get through the game in less than four hours. I still haven't been able to do it. My fastest time, I think I sent it to you, Ash, it was like four minutes and six, or four hours and six minutes. And I want to try to do that. But honestly, I'm curious to see how it looks when you insta-kill him. I mean, I've watched the videos and stuff, but nothing is quite like experiencing it for yourself. But I do have a qualm with the crate fight. You know, they don't really explain... Why he's there? I mean, I'm I'm not going to really complain because, honestly, it's fan service. You know, we got to have a really awesome 2.5D uh, crate fight with, you know, 2021 technology, and that was amazing. Samus is just like, oh, it's you again. Okay, cool. Let me kill you really quick. But they don't really explain why he's there. Like, are the Chozo that were on ZDR, like, cloning him to use for battle? Is this something that the Galactic Federation did? Is this Raven Peaks doing? We don't know.
0: Yeah, because there aren't any
1: space pirates in this game at all. And Crade and is, is, I believe, associated
0: with the space pirates.
1: <laughs> yep. He was one of their captains. There was Ridley, Kraid, and one other, I believe. Hold on. What was, what was the name of the third influencer over the space pirates? That would be Mother Brain. Mother Brain, there you go. Wow, come on, I'm a Metroid fan and I can't even remember Mother Brain. But yeah, no, I did love that there was no Ridley in this game. As of Metroid Fusion, Ridley is gone. And, like, the last last little remnants of Ridley were in that frozen carcass that was kept in the, not in the quarantine bay, but the sub-zero containment in Metroid Fusion. And I guess it got infected with an X-parasite, which contained the screw attack. And once you take that down, that's... That's pretty much the last we see of Ridley. Now, I I feel like they're going to bring it back in some way, shape, or form, maybe with Metroid Prime 4, maybe with the next 2D Metroid game, but I was very surprised to see zero space pirates in this game. Basically, the space pirates were replaced with the Chozo soldiers, and to me, those fights were really hard for me at first because I thought that the only way you could damage them was by countering them and plowing missiles into them. I didn't know that you could actually just lay into them with a bunch of missiles and take them out. And once I figured that out, they became fairly easy, especially once you get storm missiles. Storm missiles, that's that's one of the things I want to talk about. We've had Seeker missiles in the Prime Trilogy, but they, honestly, storm missiles are one of my favorite upgrades in all of Metroid. You can basically lock on to five different targets and launch up to 15 missiles and just obliterate things. It made boss fights really really so much simpler it becomes
0: an integral part of boss fights because up to that point you were either using the charge beam or the missiles or more likely a combination of both right but once you get the storm missiles it really becomes more focused on just charging up spots on on bosses and sub bosses and um with the storm missile and then unleashing it when you have an opportunity i found myself often with the chozo soldiers that you fight uh the uh the the monkins kind of already charging up and holding down the r button to have those uh missile lock set and then uh, unloading it as soon as the you know as soon as their weakness is exploited and have that opportunity so you can actually keep it charged move around do whatever you need to do you just need to keep on holding down the r button and so with finesse uh you can take down a lot of the enemies uh the experiment i know was quite a bit easier with the storm missiles of course you can also kill it with a shine spark but (laughs) that is so
1: difficult to achieve you have to time that ish perfectly But if you can do it, it is one of the most satisfying things in the game. Dude, let's hop back to the very beginning for a second. Can we talk about the opening sequence? If anybody really, truly paid attention to the opening sequence versus, you know, the rest of the game, they would have pretty much found out almost immediately that Adam was not himself. You know, that wasn't really Adam. Because in the opening cutscene, when you're headed towards ZDR's atmosphere, Adam is telling you... Uh, I don't think this is necessarily worth it. The bounty itself is, you know, it doesn't seem appropriate for this mission. And Samus is just like, "Yeah, dude, whatever," but we're gonna do it anyways. And I, I honestly love that she's like, "I don't care. I'm the only one that can take care of it." Basically, the Galactic Federation has sent Emmy robots to investigate the X parasites in, uh, in ZDR. And once the Emmys land on ZDR. All communications lost. And so Samus is just like, okay, something's going on here. Maybe uh, maybe I'm the only one that can check it out, so I'm going to go do it. As soon as you land on ZDR, Samus is going down an elevator, and Adam is like, this elevator leads to an underground facility. It may be difficult to have communications because you'll be so, so far down. And once you get to the bottom of the elevator, the first thing you encounter is Ravenbeak. And Raven Beak is so powerful, and Samus really doesn't stand a chance against him at all. The only thing that Samus can really do is, you know, fire a super missile at his face, which only cracks his mask. And at that point... It
0: pisses him off.
1: That's it. <laughs> at that point, that just makes him upset. And so he flash shifts over to Samus and grabs her by the throat and says... Hey, they don't give you subtitles, but he says something to her in the Chozo language, which is basically like... I guess you're mine now or it's over, you can rest, or something like that. But during that exchange, that's the first time Samus's Metroid DNA really kicks in. When he is choking her or holding her in the chokehold, that is when Samus's, you know, metamorphosis starts. You see her eyes open up wide, and that right there is why Ravenbeak let her live, because he's like, Oh. And
0: her eyes are not widening because she's thinking, choke me harder, Daddy. Okay. <laughs>
1: No, no, that is definitely not why her eyes are widening, and I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> but hey, you know. Hey, come on, you know Samus is into choking. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like she is. I I don't know, man. I, You don't really choke out or strangle anybody, but I digress, you know. That would be a very, very weird plot line to go into, but hey, you know. Power tour. There's
0: dungeons for that.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. My friend there are indeed, but no, the story is really awesome because it brings back that element of isolation. You're basically on your own with no one to help you. Adam, when you interact with him in the navig I guess their navigation rooms slash save rooms. He doesn't really tell you where to go. He just kind of tells you what's going on and where you can go to try to make it better. But you're really, there's zero hand-holding in this game. I think it's funny because uh, Sakamoto and, you know, Nintendo was like, this is a great title for new Metroid players. I'm like, that's funny because this game is hard. It's really hard.
0: It is hard. It is a good entry point, though, I will say. I mean, you get a good enough context of the situation to understand the story, and uh, there are quite a few abilities uh, that are going to be very useful for new Metroid players, but I I wouldn't say that this is a good game for a casual gamer. Nope. Uh, But. A hardcore gamer that is look that just hasn't touched the Metroid series yet, though I think this is this is a fantastic way to start the series.
1: Oh, absolutely! I couldn't agree more. Like, and also the controls are so fluid and so well done; it makes the game itself more enjoyable. Simply because, I mean, come on, yeah. <laughs> I had something that I was gonna say, but like that train in my mind just derailed, and so I, I let it go. It derailed. It definitely did.
0: Yeah, I uh I I enjoyed the like we said before in the previous episode, this game runs so smooth, Samus runs moves so quickly. Uh, the addition of certain abilities such as the crossbomb and the speed spin booster will will help that somewhat, and then of course, you know, uh, mainstays like the space jump later on, which kind of make items like the grapple beam and the spin speed booster completely obsolete, but Uh, that is kind of a very Metroid thing, is obsoleting
1: powers with newer powers. I'm cool with that. Well, you get the space jump in this game before the gravity suit, don't you?
0: Yeah, you do. And one of the unique ways that they they implement that ability and, and others is that Samus can only maintain her current altitude underwater before she gets the gravity suit. So yeah, you can use the space jump to continue to push yourself forward, unlike other 2D Metroid games. But... Only to the uh, only to gain uh, any kind of vertical distance, or sorry, horizontal distance, not any vertical distance.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, until you have the gravity suit, they they do a really good job of making Samus's movement underwater very hindered, and so it's kind of difficult without the grapple beam to maneuver underwater until you have the gravity suit. So even with Space Jump, you can't really gain the necessary height that you need to in order to, you know, get to certain places. And I can kind of complain a little bit about, like, the... The timing and getting the suits, I feel like you get the gravity suit a little bit too late, but at the same time, it adds to the fluidity of the game because there are certain areas that you just don't need to access just yet.
0: And it's its very common in a metric game for the gravity suit to come so late. I know a lot of games love to throw you into underwater sections before. you get the gravity suit so that you can see how slugger samus moves in there and while you know you do have to move that way in order to progress later on when you contrast that with how fast she moves in the gravity suit it it makes her stoppable so i like that but like you said yeah the game does wait quite a bit to give you that gravity suit but at that point in the game you might spend you're going to spend a lot more time doing your your um last minute item cleanup. So it actually does work. Uh, And that uh, gives you a lot. allows you to go back and and solve a lot more puzzles. That and the cross bomb too, which I think is actually a completely optional item. You can actually skip it. But uh, some of the puzzles actually do require you using the cross bomb to propel Samus across crumble blocks.
1: Yeah, I, I really like that actually. And the shine spark puzzles in this game are fantastic. They do a really good job of utilizing the speed booster and making the player think about, you know where, oh, they, need to, where yeah. they need to go. There
0: are some zero mission level Shine Spark puzzles in this game that are that are as difficult. And if I hadn't been so trained by Zero Mission, I don't know that I would have been able to complete them. But thankfully, the speed booster. Uh, kicks in or the shine spark feature of the speed booster kicks in so much faster with uh in this game
1: yeah oh dude it's practically instantaneous like once you activate it you're moving for less than two seconds before it kicks in it's really nice um and i get why some people can complain about that but honestly i love it i think that it's really nice to not have to wait to charge it i mean come on in other m it was ridiculous dude
0: it's interesting too. The game actually does require this, the the Shine Spark to progress. Uh, I think the only other game that ever required the Shine Spark, where it wasn't an optional feature, was was uh, Other M. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Fusion had any sections that needed it. Just that it was something you could do um, in order to progress the story. This game does use a li- like the basic some of the basic Shine Spark abilities to progress, but uh, some of the more complicated stuff. Is only going to be, you know, is going to be involved in, in achieving one hundred percent. Yeah, I will say the most difficult puzzle in this game, I think, is the Shine Spark puzzle in Ferenia at the very beginning. Um, in fact, there are two ways to go about it, and I didn't realize. Uh, one of the routes definitely feels like that's the more intended route to go. But um, I actually have uh, screen recordings of both of them. I remember I sent them to you. The original way that I approached that puzzle was I would activate the the speed booster, jump up, shoot the block, cross bomb across, and then bomb the block while, you know, uh, charging up, start initiating the shine spark. And then you have just enough time to launch yourself up and get that missile tank. Plus... It's very difficult to pull off though. What I found out is that there's actually a, a way, a different way to do it that arguably is easier, but still difficult in its own right. And actually kind of makes a lot more sense because it ends up using that back area near the the that, that missile plus tank, tank plus that I, I wasn't sure what that was for or why that needed to be there. So if you actually wall jump while you're speed boosting, you'll actually maintain the momentum. And I don't know that the game actually ever tells you that, but yeah, you will actually you will actually maintain the the momentum, but you do have to quickly change direction. So if you're used to you know, wall jumping the easy way by just hitting the button. And this game does make wall jumping quite a bit easier and more accessible to new players. I think I mentioned that before, but... um, As it should.
1: I mean, mean, it it should. should be easier to do something that's been a part of the series since Super Metroid, you know? Which was a secret technique in Super Metroid, along with Shine Sparking. It was, and i I just feel like with the less clunkiness of the control- the less clunky feel of the controls, as you know, modern technology takes up, I think it should in sixty frames per second just seem and feel easier, but honestly, they just outright made it easier to wall jump, and I love how they connected the shine spark and the speed booster with wall jumping. And, uh, you know, sliding. Sliding is one of my favorite things about this game because you can just be hauling ass and an enemy will shoot something at you and you can slide underneath it and just end their life. It is awesome. And shine sparking and sliding and connecting all of those things to for puzzles it's just so much fun to do. It really is. This is the first Metroid game where I actually completed every single shine spark puzzle. And it makes me want to go back and play Fusion and Zero Mission just so I can, you know, of course complete the story, but... Uh, do the Shine Spark puzzles as well. I started playing Fusion on my computer, but there was a sound delay that I could never figure out, so I stopped because it really got on my nerves. But I'm excited to dive back in and access these Shine Spark puzzles. Uploading data.
2: Here's your Metroid DNA has caused you to become a Metroid. Ordinarily, this would have happened immediately after the DNA transplant. Your FOHA genes must have slowed down the process. They were the only tribe capable of controlling the Metroids. Though you possess their DNA, you are not a FOHA. Your physical prowess suggests that you must also possess Machin DNA. Metroids are programmed to identify Machin as enemies, this suggests one thing to me. It is very probable that your metamorphosis occurred as a result of Ravenbeak's attack, his presence awakened the metroids killer instinct. Since then, your metamorphosis has accelerated, it can no longer be controlled, You are now a metroid, Samus Aran. Your very existence poses a grave threat to the galaxy. However, there is no need to fear. You can still contribute to galactic peace. You need only use your new powers correctly. You have followed my instructions faithfully so far. Continue to do so. It's that simple. I consider your performance here on ZDR highly satisfactory, as I hope, it has even awakened your metroid powers, I was right to let you live during our first encounter, that one glimpse you showed, told me everything, submit and offer up your power, my plan is the only way to bring order to the galaxy, fulfill your destiny Samus, this is an order, disobedience will not be tolerated.
0: Yeah, but- Going back to that one Shine Spark puzzle, what you do is you end up you wall jump off of it, and then you'll be able to slide, and it actually breaks the booster blocks because you're still speed boosting. Then you actually activate the Shine Spark once you get to the other side. Then move your way back up, and you have plenty of time to bomb and and launch yourself up using using the Shine Spark. So that puzzle was actually I think easier doing it than the intended route, but there are multiple ways to do it, and I appreciate that this game offers so many alternatives. Uh, solutions for some of the puzzles.
1: Absolutely. I think that's one of the better things that they chose to do because, yes, of course, it's really cool if there's only one specific way to do it, but give it a little bit of variety. It adds to the replayability of the game, and given that I uh, 100%ed this game twice in less than a week, you know, the replayability factor really, you know, it really touched. It was really touching to me because it's, it's good to have a Metroid game that you can play multiple times when it comes out, you know? I was very thankful for that.
0: Yeah, and we mentioned the sequence breaking earlier. There definitely are some intended sequence breaks in this game. There are some uh, uh, bug exploits as well, I believe. I'm not a, as big of a fan of those. I like the ones that the developers definitely left in there on purpose. What were some of the other ones that you came across? Like, you could get the gravity suit early or the power you bomb early?
1: Yeah, once you get... No, you can't get the power bomb early. That'd be dope. But um, once you are able to get the... Um, Ice missiles. You can actually go into Berenia, where well, I mean, Berenia is where you get the gravity suit. But there's a I think it's where the green teleporter is. You can actually shoot the floor underneath the green teleporter, and it opens up this little cavern where all of these little creatures that won't die unless you hit them. The little, I they look like they look like cocoons almost that you can only destroy with ice missiles. And once you get down there, you're able to have early access to the lower part of Berenia where you can use the grapple beam to pull down that giant thing that crashes into the bottom. And then you can, uh, climb up and I believe, yeah, you climb up and you can kind of wriggle your way with solid movement up to the room where you get the gravity suit and you have the gravity suit early, but that if you get the gravity suit early, that means uh, ZDR starts to freeze over earlier and you can't get space jump. Until after, uh, you actually get screw attack before space jump if you do the sequence break. And you have to fight the experiment with just the spin jump. And it's tough. It's really tough. But that is how you get the gravity suit early. And honestly, I like that sequence break because it makes the game a little bit more challenging uh so yeah you should definitely try that on your next playthrough it's pretty dope
0: that is actually pretty dope yeah i I like that there are different different solutions presented and different ways to go about the game and again that really increases the replayability uh playing the game again in hard mode as well i remember actually i started two playthroughs simultaneously i started a hard mode playthrough of course after my my first playthrough and you know, I was going to go ahead and 100% the game in hard mode. Not too worried about time at that point. And then I started a second, uh, second playthrough, I guess a third playthrough <laughs> that I was running, you know, concurrently where I was going through normal mode, but attempting to play through the game as quickly as possible, getting only the, uh, optional upgrades that are like right in front of me and and I don't have to go out of my way to get so uh and that way I could try to at least beat the game under four hours or get or eight hours or you know in order to get the alternate pieces of art at the end by the way that is the reward uh unfortunately there is no zero suit samus cutscene at the end of this it's okay I guess there doesn't need to be but uh we do get some pretty cool artwork uh in fact uh they're the ending artwork for the game are all uh looks at the uh previous metroid games in the canon
1: yes they are and it's it's really dope how they do it too because i mean you get some i mean if you beat uh if you beat hard mode i think in under eight hours you get a shot of zero suit samus uh with short hair and that's really dope i like that a lot but you know they i think in Previous Metroid games, they did that just to kind of entertain the player. But I guess with everything going on in the world right now, they kind of wanted to, you know, desexualize Samus as much as possible because with this whole cancel culture thing uh, going on right now, it's it's kind of a it's a big risk to put something like that in the game.
0: Well, and it was always fan servicey, but I didn't oh, yeah. mind it personally because she's hot. <laughs> <laughs> But I can see why people would be kind of upset about that, about objectifying Samus and whatnot, but come on. She's a fucking badass. Like like I I think I think she's the type of the type of person that would flaunt her sexuality.
1: I mean, maybe. Maybe. But I guess we'll leave it up to Canon to decide. Nick Cannon. <laughs> Actually I hope I hope the canon never
0: actually goes there. I I I think that Samus, you know, maintaining uh, a lot of her aspects of her character leaving that up to the player, I think is is a part of what makes her a cool character. It's what where other imp failed, you know. in this game you can give Samus a character, or even giving give her a speaking line, but You know, she doesn't have to talk a lot, just enough to give some insight into who she is. She's still a silent badass, and this game achieves that so well, as we mentioned in the previous episode. Yes,
1: yes, it does. And, I mean, okay, so going back a little bit on the story, what did you think of Elon and that whole sequence like that place being where uh beak had apparently Ravenbeak managed to contain the X parasites all by himself after they had come back to ZDR and one of the chosen soldiers was an X in disguise. What did you think about uh him like quarantining all of the X in Elon by himself and you know I liked the whole sequence with her, you know, walking out of Elon and all of the X parasites are like roaming free, but they're also avoiding Samus because uh like the plague because she's a Metroid, and I guess she doesn't see it yet, but they do. They most certainly do, and they're like, "Get away! Get away! Get away! Get away! Get away!" They're all just flying free, trying to get out as much as possible. And then after that, you get back in touch with Adam, and he tells you about Ravenbeak quarantining the X's, because I mean, it's actually Ravenbeak, and so I guess Ravenbeak is flaunting at this point. Um, what did you think about all that?
0: Well, I, I guess you could see that the x were coming in the game after all, you know, at the very beginning of the game, the whole premise is that Samus is investigating ZDR to find the X, so you're kind of like where are the X? And so they kind of come full force in and it was such an awesome moment in the game to uh reintroduce, you know, some of the concepts of fusion and it really brings back a whole lot of nostalgia. From that point in the game until the rest of the game, all of the enemies have been replaced by ex parasite clones. So they all die like they do in fusion and, you know, you you have to deal with collecting the x parasites so they don't turn into other enemies and, and then you have to deal with uh, sometimes them automatically turning into other more powerful enemies, you know, and and, and, and encountering many bosses as a res- or bosses as a result of that. In fact, even the final boss with with uh uh
1: what's his face? uh Ravenbird beak face man. Raven bird, Raven bird, beak face man. That's what with
0: ra- Raven beak. Yeah, it goes into that, which we'll we'll talk about in just a bit. But I love, uh, just I just had such a nostalgic moment coming back to Metroid Fusion, and um, I I love how they even changed the animation of the X parasites, uh, you know, and how they're morphing into other creatures. They they kind of become this this black gelatinous substance for a while, and then morph into what they're doing. It, it's actually quite a bit better than the way that fusion did it with its limited gba hardware they sort of just flashed white and then turned into whatever they were doing i actually i actually did enjoy enjoy the way that they were uh animated just a bit more intricately in this game can we talk about also because i don't even think we mentioned it last time that this game runs in 60 fps oh dude it's beautiful 98 percent of the game
1: (laughs) i mean for me i didn't really have a issue with frame skipping at all it was it was really nice actually so but hey i mean I really enjoyed the fact that they took the time to make it such a smooth experience. And actually, a lot of people complained that this game was 2D and still like built like the older games. I, I, I personally love that. Honestly, it pays homage to the older titles and keeps the series fresh and smooth while keeping some of those similar elements that we've seen. You know, and 60 FPS, this is the first Metroid game to be in 60 frames per second, besides Metroid Prime, but that's on the GameCube, and honestly, it wasn't really a true 60 FPS on the GameCube. It's more expanded upon if you play it on PC, which, by the way, Ash, I beat Metroid Prime on PC, and it is by far the best way to play Metroid Prime, hands down, bar none. Dude,
0: hell yeah. I, I remember watching you play. Last time I watched you, you beat Thardus. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I zoomed through it really quickly. Once I got back into it, you know, uh, by the time I had hit the sunken, uh, we're not talking about Metroid Prime, but it's Metroid, so shut up. But uh, once I had gotten back to like the sunken freighter, I was like, dude, yes, let's go, let's go, and I just played it until I beat it.
0: Fuck yeah, I, I'm not surprised. That's such a fantastic game to play through. But yeah, I, I actually was, was super impressed with the visual quality on this game. I mean, it is just absolutely stunning, and, and that comes full force whenever you get to see the X-Parasites for the first time. And yeah, you better you better get used to X-Parasites. I hope you liked Fusion, because the rest of this game is like it. But uh, in the best way possible, I think that uh, you know reintroducing that aspect and observing and absorb- Absorbing the X parasites was just was just so cool, and then it becomes a crucial part of of the plot later. You know, after you defeat Ravenbeak, which is one of the best boss battles in the whole game. Uh, actually, before we get into the X parasite segment, do do you want to talk about that final boss
1: battle? Well, honestly, dude, it's the best final boss in the entire series, like bar none. It is fantastic. It is difficult. It's in three different phases. Ravenbeak is also a silent badass. Well. Kind of silent, you know, I mean, when he's staring at you and he just rips off his wing, that is one of the most intimidating moments in the entire series and I just I think it's so well done, it just deserves nothing but praise, you know, and just the fluidity of the movements between both Samus and Ravenbeak, the fact that he has pretty much all of the abilities you do, like the flash shift, he's got the shine spark, he's got the the hyper beam almost or like a giant gaping power beam. You know, there's probably a better word to use for that, but I don't care. It's just, it was such a phenomenal encounter, and I was very, very impressed with what uh, Nintendo and Mercury Steam were able to accomplish. You know, they really did Metroid justice.
0: Yeah, and as a three-phase boss battle, it's also very cinematic, and uh, in order to progress to the next stage, I think you have to actually uh, hit those counter chains,
1: right? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's no way to do it without it. Yeah.
0: I thought that was that was initially extremely difficult, but the more you play it over and over again, you start to actually figure out his patterns. And it's actually really satisfying being able to dodge all of his attacks and, you know, like my, my goal would be to try to get through like the first couple of phases without losing any uh without taking any damage and uh eventually yeah, I was able to kind of uh, to to maintain that. Of course, he also does drop some pickup pickups that you're able to to destroy. Uh, and, and regain items, uh, and also whenever you counter him, you'll you'll get some of that back too. So that was nice. Like those little black orbs that he shoots at you, which you can, um, you know, you just hit with a couple missiles or a storm missile, and and that knock, knocks those out of the way. And then in the final boss battle, he drops this giant fucking sun thing, which I didn't realize at first. If you power bomb that knocks that sun out of the way so you don't have to keep dealing with it getting in the way and having to dodge that while you're dodging his attacks and it also drops a shit ton of pickups so
1: <laughs> yes it does yeah and it's it's actually once you realize that you can power bomb that it makes it so much easier because that thing is hard if you just let it sit at the top it'll fire like these different little sunbursts at you and those are hard to dodge while also dodging Ravenbeak's attacks if you're good with the flash shift too it makes the boss battle so much easier because you can dodge most of his attacks with a well-timed flash shift
0: yeah I use the hell out of the flash shift in those boss battles you can kind of alternate and use the slide as well to avoid some of the attacks but the, the flash shift is just really 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 satisfying to use and what I really like about it is that you can gain some distance and with Ravenbeak you actually want distance Um, so being able to quickly shift over to the other side of the room and, you know, and then, and, and, and charge up a few storm missiles and get them was, uh, convenient. I, I do like how the first phase you fight him you know you get used to dodging his attacks and and you and you you learn his pattern whatever and then he enters a whole other shift where he's flying in the air and a whole different set of attacks okay you knock off his wings and now he's back on foot and he his third phase is quite a bit like the first phase he uses a lot of the same attacks but just also new attacks so it's it's the first phase but even harder
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely okay so raven beak being my favorite boss in the series he also has the best music in the game. Uh, the last time you and I talked, I gave this game a 10 out of 10. Which, I think I'm going to have to pull back from that. I think I'm going to have to give it a 9.8. Simply because, Metroid is known for its amazing soundtracks. And Dread's soundtrack was a little bit underwhelming. There there weren't really many parts of the game where the music was just like, holy crap. And I would like pause the menu and just listen to the track. Because I used to do that all the time playing Metroid. <laughs> but... You know, I just wasn't that blown away with the music. It was cool. It was catchy. And, you know, each area had its own individual track. Each boss fight had its own individual track. But none of them really stuck out to me. And it yeah. kind of bummed me out. The best area soundtrack was Cateris. Or or Artar- Artaria,
0: and this game tried to do something a little a little different. Uh, definitely very ambitious, I would say. Uh, and I'll honestly, kind of respectable on, on Nintendo's part to not really reuse any tracks for this game. They most it's mostly a completely original soundtrack, with of course you know the basic title screen theme and, and samus themes present uh and then at one part you get that you hear that lower brenstar theme you know the whoa wah whoa whoa wah, wah, when you're dealing with chozo shit and that was cool during that one cut scene but yeah I, I gotta agree with you the soundtrack didn't stick out to me just as much maybe if they had 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 actually reused some tracks and remixed them up but at the same time i can't really be mad that they decided to go the direction of trying new new music in this one
1: No, I mean, it's trial by fire, you know? They they tried something new and it didn't necessarily work out to their advantage. But that gives me a lot of hope for Metroid 6 or Metroid Prime 4. Like, you've got to believe that they are coming up with some banger soundtracks. Like, for the next game. Like, dude, Metroid 6, also, Danielle just messaged me and it just made my heart skip a beat. Because every time I see a message... You guys will hear me talk about her quite a bit on this podcast. I won't reveal any personal information, but I love that woman. And honestly, the first week... I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. We got time. The first weekend that uh, she came back out to my house for the first time was also the weekend that Metroid Dread came out. And this woman literally told me... She was like, look... I love you, but I know that you've been waiting for this game for a long time, so I'm going to sit back and watch you kick its ass. She literally said that to me. And she was like, play play your game. Do it. I am happy to sit here and watch you. And I tried not to play too terribly much, but I got... Of course, you know, it was release weekend, so I got into it. And I had a blast. Space Danielle. Uh, oh, dude. Danielle is thebomb.com slash CD-ROM forward slash collateral gaming. And... <laughs> but... No, she just messaged me and it made my heart just jump because I'm so happy. The music could have been better in this game. Uh, I still think to this day that no game has a better soundtrack than Metroid Prime. Like, Fendrana Drifts, like the Depths, the Magmor Caverns, was actually the Lower Norfair theme from Super Metroid. Oh my gosh, the Sunken Freighter theme, the meta Ridley fight. Oh my gosh, like I... Oh, the music. Y'all, and y'all know me, I'm a huge music fanatic. Absolutely. Yo, oh, gosh. Yeah. Ash knows I'm a, I'm a trumpet player. You know, I love music. I have a degree in it. I just I can't wait to see what they do uh, with the next titles. You know, I'm really excited to see just what they can bring to the table, because if they reuse some tracks, they can make them so much better, you know. True. True.
0: Yeah, I agree. I like to see remixed tracks, so maybe just a little bit more of that pepper throughout would have helped. But either mm. way, I mean, the soundtrack is phenomenal. Uh, and you know, Zach is a as a music geek, but I'm not as much, so that doesn't really take as much away from my enjoyment of the game, personally.
1: Yeah, and I'm not trying. I'm not. I wasn't trying to flex that I have a degree. I was just mentioning it. So I'm sorry if it came off that
0: way. (laughs) Well, you know, you're also flexing about having having a girlfriend. So maybe all of our single listeners are, you know, are are going to be are going to be kind of like, man, why is he why is he rubbing that in our faces? Come on.
1: I'll I'll never apologize for that. (laughs) No, go for it, dude. I will never apologize. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Oh, no, man. It's just, it's just, you know. Well, we're talking about Metroid. We're not talking about that. We're not about to go into, like, (laughs) NPR style. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's better if, you know, you just wait for a relationship to happen. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Gosh. Now I kind of want to play through Dread again. I've already played through the game, like, four times. And I want to play it again. It's just a phenomenal title.
0: Guess what I'm playing right now. Dread. No, no, yes, I am. Of course, I am. Um, yeah, no, I'm playing Dread right now. I'm kind of. I'm actually doing. I'm uh, doing some last minute item pickup on my on my hard mode playthrough. So.
1: <laughs> Lol, he said hard.
0: Hard mode. Erect mode. Actually, I just did get every single item. I'm
1: 100 in every area. So now I nice. suppose
0: I suppose I'm heading towards Raven Peak.
1: Nice. Are you? You said you're playing on hard mode, right? I'm playing on hard mode. Yeah, have you beaten it on hard mode yet? I have not. This would be the first time. Uh, Raven Beak is tough on hard mode, dude. Just going to go ahead and put that out there. The fight I is don't much more. Dif- the fight is much more difficult.
0: But... It- It's kind of like Spider-Man PS4 and the fact that, like, I might have actually said this before, but uh, in that if you play this game well enough, it actually doesn't matter what difficulty you're on. If you are playing the game the way that uh, you should if you've mastered it and and dodging attacks, then you should be able to get through hard. But it is hard. (laughs) I've died quite a few times.
1: It's very challenging. I will not lie. It is. It's a tough experience, but it's fun and it's worth it. You know, it makes... It makes the investment very, very worth it, you know? Extremely worth it. There you go. That's how you speak English. Sorry.
0: Speaking English with Zachary Gio on Collateral Gaming. You know what?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I struggle with the English language on occasion. As
0: everyone does who learns to speak it. Maybe that's why Sam has decided not to speak any English this time. Just Jozo. (laughs)
1: And she's like, screw that crap, man. Chozo's easier. I was born... Uh, well, she wasn't born with it, but it did, you know, become her native tongue. Did you know that, like, the
0: premise of this game was basically built together from the uh, the uh, unlockable stills and Samus Returns? Those unlockable stills that you get throughout the game, I think by the more Metroids that you fight... End uh, up, uh, they they decided to kind of build this game around those and and uh, a lot of what you see depicted in those, which were at the time were very mysterious. I think they were called Chozo memories. Yeah, yeah. Those uh, developed, you know, showed actual, actually showed Ravenbeak and and uh, Quiet Robe and other Chozo and the events of this game. So I like that they they developed that out of that. Now the question is. Were those stills put into Samus Returns based on the the plans for Metroid Dread that had been in in development for for over a decade, or did they take those those stills and develop cutscenes out of them? Either way, it's admirable.
1: <laughs> oh, it's beautiful! It's beautifully done the way they did it. Now, I want to ask you: This game pays homage to Metroid Fusion through her becoming a Metroid and. Uh, her becoming, or, you know, the X-Parasites coming back. But do you think this game is more of a sequel to Samus Returns, or do you think it's more of a sequel to Fusion itself? Because, honestly, at the end of Metroid Fusion, Samus literally, through the help of Adam, defies the Galactic Federation and sends the the BSL Research Station, into SR-388, destroying both of them. Do you think that Samus' uh, Samus's direct defiance of the Federation should have been addressed in this game? Or do you think that that is a fine plot point for Metroid 6?
0: Think it was too obvious. Might have been a little bit on the nose if, if they decided to do it. I'm kind of glad that they're saving that for a future entry. Uh, and and with the uh, storyline concluding uh, of the, the saga of Samus and the Metroids, I'd, I'd love to see where that goes. I mean, I think with Samus having completed her metamorphosis into a Metroid, the Federation might be after her for more reason than one now. Not just, you know, failing uh, orders, but also because of her existence. After all, it is Quiet Rob himself who said not Quiet Rob, it is Ravenbeek himself who says that her existence is a threat to the galaxy.
1: Now do you think he was saying that is do you think her existence is a threat to the galaxy? She's a sentient, self aware human being that knows the difference between right and wrong. Metroids are simply predators. If they see prey, they're gonna go after it. Do you think that she's a threat to the galaxy or do you think they're just gonna say that so that they can control her? Keep in mind,
0: it was it was it was it was uh, Ravenbeak saying that who had ulterior motives. I think that it's possibly a threat. She's possibly a threat to the galaxy to the point that the Federation is going to feel that they need to go after her. But Samus is a good person. Samus is going to be able to to hold that back, and in fact, she does. That's how the game concludes. So we were kind of alluding to this earlier, but following the Ravenbeak fight. Uh, Ravenbeak suddenly transforms into this giant ex-parasite, but not before Samus fully completes her 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 Metroid transformation. Um, she just like like you 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 finally enter this this chain of chain of uh, of of uh, attacks following a, a counter. You've beat the boss battle and actually. Ravenbeak still has the upper hand, and he's choking her again, basically mirroring that that beginning scene. But this time, Samus starts draining the shit out of him, and and she just goes hard. It it actually feels like straight out of an anime. I remember you were playing that part of the game, and you were the one that told me like you have to beat the game now. Go and do it. And dude,
1: it's so good. It's so
0: good. I was finishing up item pickup, so that's the only thing that was stopping me.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude, that the ending of that game, I felt so good going to that for the first time at a hundred percent too. Like it was it was such a wonderful feeling to be able to, you know, go and tackle the final boss the first time I'm playing through the game at a hundred percent. Because the first Metroid game I ever beat was Fusion, and I was at like sixty percent maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah.
0: So it was, it was, it was pretty fucking awesome. Uh, that whole like final sequence and she's just, ah, you know, like you can, you can tell that's, that's, that's what's going on. And, and she's draining the shit out of him, draining and draining and draining until eventually she awakens the Metroid suit. And like you said before, I mean, she looks, her suit looks straight up like a Metroid. She is unstoppable. She has the hyper beam as her just regular beam attack, uh, and in uh, and, and one final section, it kind of would have been cool if you actually got to, if this was really turned into a, a full boss fight. But at the same time, it demonstrates Samus's power that she kills this monstrosity that forms as a result of the ex parasite uh, cloning. Uh, uh, Raven Beak's DNA and and just destroying it in one hit. And then, of course, you get your typical Metroid countdown sequence where, you know, she's got to get out of the fucking planet because she's going to die. And, and and whenever she gets into the, into the ship, I like how Adam is like, don't, you'll drain the ship of its energy. Like she literally can't touch her ship controls without draining her ship. And conveniently, we finally see the uh, ex-parasite clone of... Of uh, quiet robe return who which had been alluded to previously in the game and somehow now he's kind of retained his sapience and and his intelligence and he's able or maybe that was the ex-parasites making a decision to help samus since they were doomed to shit anyway i don't know but all of a sudden uh he appears there and then the ex-parasite allows itself to be uh, to be absorbed by Samus, uh, somewhat restoring her
1: genetic condition,
0: kind of similar to what happened at the end of Fusion again.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and honestly, I think I think the reason that that ex-parasite mimicking Quiet Robe gave himself up to Samus was because he knew that Samus was the la- or that ex-parasite knew that Samus was the last remaining Metroid, and by doing that, restoring her. Would basically slow her metamorphosis, and you know she wouldn't have to succumb to those powers. And honestly, you know I I cried at that part. It was so beautiful because that's where you get the the lower brinstar theme, and it's just it's a very very you know sentimental moment. You see that connection between what's left of Quiet Robe and Samus. It's basically his final goodbye. I don't think it was Quiet Robe. I think it was an X-Parasite. But to me, it feels like there was some part of him still left in there because maybe Quiet Robe wasn't dead from that shot.
0: Remember that the X actually uh, obtained the intelligence and memory of their prey. So that being said, a little bit of quiet rub was in there, you know, all of his memories and and, and the person he used to be. It's just that the ex parasites nature overrules any any sort of, but maybe not always. It, it's kind of left ambiguous as to exactly what's going on there. You know, like you said, it could very well be a calculated move on the part of the X. They're fucked anyway. And with Samus being, you know, the, uh, the threat to the galaxy, so to speak, and being a Metroid, you know, which is their natural fear, maybe that was in its instinct to do so. But what ends up happening is that because of quiet robe's DNA, um, which is thoha, the thoha side of, of, of samus, and she has, you know, both DNA strands in her um, actually keeps the metroid dna at bay. That this is something that's foreshadowed earlier on. And 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 the reason why Samus didn't fully turn into a metroid yet was that the the thoha dna was stabilizing it and preventing that from happening. But the more power she gains, you know, that mockin dna kind of takes over and and and, the, and allows the metroid dna to take over. <laughs>
1: It's so cool, the way it's all laid out, man. And honestly, Metroid Dread is a phenomenal title. I will play it again in the future. I've just kind of beat the pants off of it, so I'm going to give it a little while before I play it again. And I'm already so eager for Metroid 6. And if you think about it, it didn't really take them that long to develop the game, considering they announced it at E3 in July. Or June was it June or July?
0: Can't remember, but it was in the summer, and I remember them announcing it was coming out in October. And I was like, man, they 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 announced this like right before it came out. They were already pretty much mostly done developing this, I think, when they announced it. But uh, it must not have taken too long because I mean, obviously, I think it runs off of the same engine as Samus Returns and possibly reuses some assets, but. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 100%. I mean, this was actually kind of thrown out there as a as an in-between title, as like a hold hold you on until we have Metroid Prime 4 out. And it came out being one of the most memorable entries in the franchise, the best, hands down, the best 2D title in the series. Uh, Absolutely. And, and depending on how you feel about the Metroid series, I mean, Metroid Prime sub-series, um, you know, for some people, this is arguably the best. I like Metroid Prime just a little bit more, but I appreciate that we give both sides of the Metroid because we need both of them. And and it's so weird that Nintendo ever decided to kind of go back on its roots. I think maybe Nintendo thought that you know there wasn't a place for 2D games anymore, and Metroid naturally had to evolve. And I'm okay with there being a good 3D Metroid game that's not the Prime series. I'm if they could manage to pull it off and not fuck it up like they did either end. Oh God, that would be cool, but.
1: Just producing these 2.5D titles is more than enough. I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, it's, it, it's Metroid. You know, I'm not going to complain, period. Even though Metroid Other M was terrible, it had some really cool aspects, like being able to use the speed booster and the space jump in a 3D setting. It was really cool. You know, I enjoyed it. It's just the story sucked. <laughs> the story is awful.
0: Yeah, and the gameplay just wasn't up to you know the standard that we had set for ourselves with uh, other Metroid games but i would struggle to say that it's just a plain bad game it's just a bad metroid
2: game <laughs> it is
1: it's not it's not a very good metroid game at all and they make samus seem weak and metroid uh well samus returns and dread both did a good job of kind of you know revitalizing samus's character as the silent badass and it yes, put, they thought they did. It put Metroid on the map as, like, a Tier 1 title. Honestly, I believe that. I think Metroid Prime 4 is going to receive critical acclaim, and, I mean, Metroid Dread is going to receive critical acclaim if it hasn't already, and I think it's a contender for Game of the Year. Absolutely. It honestly is. I mean, this this might be my my
0: favorite Game of the Year now, because uh, I think I said, uh, uh, Ghost of Tsushima was the was the uh, twenty twenty game of the year for me. For twenty twenty one, Metro Dread. I'm struggling. I'm struggling to think of anything that was better than Metroid Dread. I mean, this is my second favorite game series of all time. I mean, it kind of stands to reason that the the product the 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 game release that came out this year would would not be my favorite game of the year. So.
1: <laughs> oh, dude, I'm fully with you on that. Honestly. But uh, there's not really much more that we can dive into, you know. All of the items are relatively the same, except for the cross bombs, flash shifts, storm missiles, and I mean, the gravity suit and the var- various suit both look incredible. This is arguably my favorite suit design in the en- suit design in the entire series. Noticing how Samus's suit is basically like growing back almost because it's a part of who she is, you know. And
0: yes, it's, I did it's, like that. It's I, I really- think these are the best-looking suits in the series.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, including the Metroid suit, you know? But, I mean, Metroid Dread is an absolutely phenomenal game. If you haven't played it, I highly recommend it. If you don't have a Switch, what are you doing with your life? Get one, and get Metroid Dread. It's a phenomenal title. It's some of Nintendo's best work, especially with a series that... You know, hasn't really received the spotlight. What what is the term
0: for a, a like a must play title? Like th- there's a term for a title that's like this is the game that's worth buying the console. Oh
1: God, I don't know. I,
0: I can't remember what the word is for that. But there there is a word for that for and Metroid Dread is one hundred percent a game that fits that.
1: Hold on, I kinda want to look it up since I mean we're about to wrap it up anyway, so let me look it up. What would I even type in? Game that's so good you have to buy the console?
0: Yeah, I don't know. There there I've definitely
1: seen a term for that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Let me look up specific terms. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure I it out. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk to you guys next time. But... <laughs> Ash, what are we talking about the next time on the podcast?
0: All right. So coming up next on Collateral Gaming, we are doing our first bad game of the season. Uh, there are more to come, actually.
1: We're
2: going
0: to finally talk Gross. Superman 64 or Superman The New Adventures. And and it is actually spelled The New Adventures, not The New Adventures. It's it's Adventures. Adventures yep. assemble.
1: Oh, um, my God. I am <laughs> excited but also kind of dreading <laughs> this episode a little bit because well, that game is awful.
0: You know, sometimes to appreciate the good, you have to play the bad. Or at least that's what we're telling ourselves as we suffer through this. And yes, we are going to <laughs> suffer through it. If we have to emulate it, we will. Thankfully, I don't. Uh, my friend Robert Ortegon from the Collateral Cinema Movie Podcast actually has a Nintendo 64 in this game. So I'll get to play firsthand what this was like. And that's going to be an experience for sure. But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, coming up in the month of December, we'll go ahead and announce it. Uh, we are combining our holiday special and anniversary special, which come up in the in the month of December as a two-part episode on The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess uh, that is our very own Megan's favorite Zelda game so it was the natural choice to pick next after having you know brought her onto the podcast and it's one of my favorites in the series we got to talk about it at some point
1: <laughs> yeah it's a phenomenal title it's it's one of my favorite games that I played growing up um, I would literally get up early in the morning and play it but I'll expand more upon that Um but yeah, dude, I'm really looking forward to the rest of what this season has to offer. And um, Metroid Dread is, has been super fun to play and even more fun to talk about, you know, because when you've got friends that play these titles, it's really fun to dive in and shoot the shit about it.
0: Dude, 100%. I had a great time
1: I did talking about I 100% this with the game you. game twice.
0: Play, playing this yeah it was awesome and then you know being able to to discuss like as we discovered new things in the game together you know because we were pretty much neck and neck at uh different points i might have been a little bit more ahead of the game or you might a little bit a little bit more because i ended up being able to pick it up before you did but um yeah we were constantly uh neck to neck at that and it was fun you know kind of experiencing this game together not having a lot of help you know anytime that i needed help i pretty much had to figure it out myself there weren't a lot of guides available
1: oh there's so. zero hand holding in this game too at that's one of the things that makes it good to me is you you're left to figure it out on your own and I've always loved that about Metroid games the and honestly prime did that the best
0: that's what Adam tells you is just follow your instincts you know that's kind of your clue to the player that you know I'm not gonna handhold it this time I'm gonna be a different kind of AI and maybe it's because it wasn't actually Adam but
1: but, but it <laughs> can you imagine if it was actually adam he's just like yeah go here go to this room shoot the wall so that david jaffe doesn't get mad <laughs> <laughs> screw that dude honestly on on collateral on collateral gaming podcast screw you david jaffe who cares if you help design god of war you're an idiot i love you
0: <laughs> but yeah guys if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a uh, feedback on your favorite platform of choice and uh let us know uh, what you think. If you have any suggestions for the episode, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to our Patreon. We've got some exclusive movie—not uh, movie. We have some exclusive <laughs> Let's Play video game commentaries and more to come. Dread is definitely going to be touched upon. That's Oh, hell
1: yeah, bro. Ash and I are going to do that one together, and I cannot wait for that. I cannot wait either, brother.
0: But yeah, uh, stay tuned for our upcoming episodes and more Let's Play video game commentaries. Check out Collateral Gaming bonus round if you haven't already. Uh, We should have another bonus round episode out uh, this month as well, so uh, stick around for that. Yeah, and uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Podbean is where we host our RSS feeds. So, um, yeah, and we may even decide to do some Apple Podcast exclusive episodes because they just figured out how to upload directly to Apple Podcasts. So it would actually be kind of cool to do like an Apple Arcade episode or something and, and do that as like an Apple exclusive so, uh, our Apple listeners, if you if you uh, if you listen to this podcast through the through the podcast app, stick around. We we may actually do an exclusive episode at some point. But
1: yeah, I think that's about all there is to say. Absolutely, man. Go play Metro Dread if you haven't done it, uh, and then talk to your friends about it. You know, because it's it's a fun conversation. You guys can talk about the different ways you enjoyed the game. And thanks for hanging out with us today. You know, it was fun doing a two part series on this.
0: Hell yeah, man. Well, that being said, I'm Ashley Chancellor.
1: And I'm Zachary Gio. This has been Collateral Gaming,
0: and we are out.
1: Outie 5,000! Bye!